told you I had something for you, right? Hit me with it. I want you to apologize to me. No. I don't think it's going to I don't think it's going to be close. Idiot. That's my opinion. I think Tennessee's going to blow them out. I stand by my opinion. You going to stand by an opinion after it didn't pan out at all? Absolutely. Well, it really wasn't close, but it wasn't the direction in, it went. It know, wasn't the direction. In you hindsight, it was off. <laughs> but beforehand, you know, I I stand by it. As the guy who feels like he's mediating right now, you also picked Florida to lose. I'm about to say, apologize to so, yourself, my friend. <laughs> so uh, now, now, Wit was the only one of us that said that they were going to get killed. I don't think that an apology is necessary when you didn't even think the Gators were going to win. That's didn't, that's correct. But at least Matt and I had the realistic thought process to say, "Hey, it's going to be a tighter game." So apologize to me. I mean, I've, it, I've watched okay. Florida play the last two years. I mean. That wasn't that wasn't a team that was going to show up and, and play well. Like they surprised everybody. I don't think I was the only one surprised no, by no, that. Hold but on, I will give them I, their I, due. I, they played well. Run game looked really solid. Tennessee's Mertz defense looked good too. Looked huh? Terrible. Mertz was all right. He looked okay. Look, he made some throws. I feel like uh, Chad's on one tonight. He's <laughs> he's a one man wrecking crew. Like he's he's like oh I'm so happy. He, he, like, which I get. It. Chad, you were at the game on Saturday night, so you know. Uh, I saw this the story you posted on the rowdy on rowdy Instagram and, and all back down looked like it was awesome. Order was there to me. The swamp on Saturday looked like it was for Utah last year. Yeah, yeah it definitely had that vibe to it. Oh yeah, quick quick story. I wasn't even planning on going to the game. Um, you know, if you go back like a year ago, when I started making plans for this coming weekend. I told Matt I would go to Ole Miss. I also told Wit that I would go to Wisconsin, and then I ended up not doing either. Friday rolls around, and I got these two cousins. We're in a group chat that they're also Florida fans, and cousin Jared texts me like four o'clock on Friday. I'm at work. He sends us a screenshot a university email and it's like we have select tickets left just throughout the stadium so it's not like it's a sold out game but obviously there had some people who probably like got rid of their tickets last minute whatever or they just had like little random you know, one or two seats beside each other throughout the stadium that were taken and so since it's a screenshot and he says they're $50 end zone seats 11 rows up I was like, if your wife says yes, buy the tickets. Long story short, Christine, my cousin-in-law, if that's a thing, says yes. And Jared, leaves Savannah at about 2.30, 3 o'clock, down to the swamp, walk in the stadium after walking about a mile and a half, walk in right at kickoff, and swamp was rocking. It was awesome. It was a huge win. It was well worth not getting back to my home in Statesboro until 3.45 a.m. on Sunday morning. Um, My God, that was well worth it. I'm, it gets me so excited for these next four weeks. Graham Mertz is playing really well. Uh, the team looks like they're gelling. That does not look like the same team that played Utah two weeks ago. They look really, really good. And that was, you know, I've been to the Alabama game, the Swamp. I went to the LSU game last year. But those environments were loud. I've been going to the Swamp every year since 2018. This is my sixth game in the Swamp. 
And I can say wholeheartedly that unless Arkansas, which I'm going to the Arkansas game in, at the beginning of November, unless that game somehow tops it, this was the best atmosphere I've ever seen in my six years of going to the Swamp. It was incredible. It was a huge win for our program, a huge win for this point in the season. And Graham Mertz looks good. ETN looks good. The defense got after Joe Milton. Austin Armstrong's doing good things with that defense. This is still a young team. A lot of things can happen. As a Florida fan, did not see this coming. I feel really good about what the rest of the season could possibly be. I really feel like eight and four, nine and three may be a realistic opportunity for us now. Maybe nothing more than that. I'm not saying that Florida is a contender all of a sudden. I'm not. But eight and four, nine and three seems way more realistic. And I am ecstatic after that game. Um, uh, I do think Florida looked really good, especially in the trenches. To me, Tennessee going into that game, I had a lot of questions about Tennessee, and that was why I, I thought it was going to be close to begin with because it, it would be really easy to say, oh, yeah, Tennessee saw Austin P and just kind of was like, oh, yeah, we'll lollygag through the game. But they had some real problems in that game actually getting stuff going, and that was a home game. And Joe Milton had happy feet, and he was off target. He missed some throws against Austin P. And I was like, you're, you're not going to be able to do that against a, a good SEC opponent in a good atmosphere. So, Florida, that's a great game because you just you just dominated in the trenches on both sides of the ball. I think ETN had 170-something rushing yards. 72. 172 rushing yards for ETN. Uh, Mertz on the stat sheet didn't light it up. It was like 166 yards passing and a touchdown, but he was, he did what he had to do with the ball, protected it, didn't turn the ball over and took what, what they gave him. And also, if you notice, Florida went very conservative the second half, three passing plays in the second half. Yeah. Three. They got the big lead. It was what? 26, seven at half, 26, to seven at halftime. We had the one drive and got the field goal. Other than that, we just handed it off and handed it off and handed it off and let the clock bleed. That's Billy Napier, though. That's what he does. And and so a lot of it to me that I saw was Florida dominating the line of scrimmage, but also Tennessee just being outclassed. And then at the end, the scruff, I thought that that was very Bush League and very enigmatic of what Tennessee stands for and how they are as a, as a program, um, you know. I hate the pumpkins, but that's just my all. That's also an unbiased thing too. Like it's really funny because it's like across the SEC, you'll hear other beats and other people like fans, like Ole Miss fans, are like, "Oh, yep, there goes there goes Tennessee doing Tennessee things," and it's like you guys don't even have a reason to hate Tennessee that much. Here you are. I tell you what, one thing that, and I'm not a big fan of the fight, and then I'm gonna let Wit talk. But one thing I want to say is that I love. What that says about this rivalry, as old as this rivalry is, I think this is a rivalry that people look at nationally and don't think it is what it used to be because of the way Florida and Tennessee has been. But this rivalry is alive and well. And I can tell you right now, I hate Tennessee. And Tennessee hates Florida. This rivalry is alive and well, and I loved seeing it. I think that's the one team all three of us collectively hate together is Tennessee. I would say Tennessee, obviously me and Matt hate Auburn. I don't know. I don't know how Chad feels about Auburn, but yeah, I, I, I'd say Tennessee's the me. only team. Like we're all like, oh, screw those guys. But I mean, at the end of the day, I actually thought they were pretty solid coming into that game. Obviously, I didn't get to watch them play against Grambling, but it's Grambling. Like they won the game. It's not mm-hmm. like it was close. I know they struggled early. Austin P. 
Austin P. Whoever it was. LSU was Grambling. Grambling, Austin P. You know, Chickamauga, whatever. Same crap. <laughs> Ito Tomato. I just saw a commercial about Chickamauga. That's why I saw them. But the... Um, Either way, like they weren't playing anybody good. Obviously, against Virginia, I thought they looked slow to start against Virginia too. But I was still like, it's Virginia, whatever. Like they're a good football team. Joe Milton's a good quarterback. I watched them play last year, um, and I, I mean, I still have Tennessee from last year in my head too. So going into that game, I was like, dude, I, I watched Tennessee play last year. I've seen Florida play the first couple games. Like Tennessee's blowing them out. But me and Danny sitting in the hotel room in Madison, Wisconsin, watching that game. We did talk about how much better Graham Mertz looked compared to how he was at Wisconsin. Um, and a lot of Wisconsin guys were saying that, too. They're like, have y'all seen Graham Mertz? Like, obviously, Florida hasn't really done anything crazy yet because they haven't won that game yet. But, like, he, you know, he looks a little bit better than he did here. Like, you know, we all kind of hated him here. But they um, – he it's kind of funny because when he was at Wisconsin, the knock was always that he didn't get enough opportunities to throw the ball. And he got put in bad situations. And now at Florida, they're a run first team. He's only getting three passing attempts in the second half, and he's completing the right passes when he needs to, which is kind of weird. And but yeah, but I think his I think his poise and experience and his leadership that comes with that is probably really really good for this young team. He looks like a different quarterback. I mean, this is a five star guy coming out of high school in the state of Kansas. He was highly coveted, highly coveted guy, and he looks really really impressive. Like he's doing, he's running our offense the way that Billy Napier wants our offense to run. I think it's the difference, too, between playing for a Wisconsin team that recruits the way a Wisconsin does with Paul Christ and his coaching staff compared to what Billy Napier is doing with his coaching staff and bringing in the guys from Florida. We just had a long discussion with one of my buddies, David, about Florida recruiting and where they are. And uh, I think that's one thing that he's kind of proven, Napier being there, is he can recruit. He can get the right guys in the system. Even if he's got to go through the transfer portal, he's putting the right guys there. Um, so we'll see what Florida does the rest of the year. I think a lot of it has to do with Tennessee as well. I'm not knocking Florida at all, but Tennessee's defense looks terrible. Florida pushed them around like they were nothing. But also credit to Billy Napier, and he showed this last year too. He wants to coach a tough, hard-nosed football team, which you don't see that at times. I mean, I'd say Georgia has been playing like that to a degree, but Georgia's even spread the ball out a little bit. Florida looks like one of the tougher teams in the SEC right now. In terms of like just physical football play, yeah, and I'll, I'll I'll say this before we move on. I think some of that's got to be attested to Austin Armstrong. Came in as a defensive coordinator that's younger than me, and has just been lights out. I mean, dude looks like a kid on the sidelines, but he's co coaching some grown man football on defense. That the defense at Florida. Looks physical. They're flying around. They're fast. It's been it's been a nice change of pace. Complete very, 360. Very reminiscent of like late 2000s Florida when they had those defenses. And even in the 2010s, like in 2015, 16, 17, the must champ defenses were always really fast, physical. Florida looks like they've got that element back. If they can get the offense to pair, they're going to be scary. I still – I. I know that you're excited, Chad, but I would still pump the brakes on just how excited you get because Florida looked good against a Tennessee team that has a lot of question marks all over and it hasn't looked incredibly well yet. So it's a great win. It's a good win for the program. It's a huge win for Billy Napier. It's a good win for the fan base because now they're they can it's something to stick your the, the feather in the hat and say, Hey, we beat Tennessee. That's a good step in the right direction in the Napier era. 
let's keep moving forward. And honestly, overall, like you take the mistakes away in week one, and you could be talking about Florida that's three and oh, but that's not what happened. Florida's going to make mistakes. Their offense is still very young, but not there's not a lot of explosiveness on it. And I think that that could hurt them on the road when they play teams like Georgia, uh, who's got the, the defense to swallow it up. I'll, I'll say one last thing in regards to um, regards to pumping the brakes. Listen, I am excited. As the Florida fan base, I think one thing you mentioned is that we can really do with the feather in the cap. It's like, relax. Relax. Let Napier do his thing. It'll come together. I've been preaching patience to our Florida fans. If any of them listen to this show, you're with me. Relax. Be patient. This was a step in the right direction. All the talk about Graham Mertz. Right here, the Rowdy Southern Saturday crew, all three of us were at a game this weekend. And Graham Mertz's former home, what you got to experience Madison this weekend. Not a huge game, but as an alumni and an opportunity to go to Madison, man, how was that? Madison was really cool. Uh, I got to go to Madison. I got to go to Milwaukee. And I was in Chicago. I didn't really get to do anything Chicago-esque. Champagne too, right? Yeah, I actually, and I did stop in Champagne. That's right. I stopped and got to see the stadium. Uh, they were doing some pre-game kind of cleanup around the stadium. Had a couple tents up in front. Um, they actually had a big sign that said, do not enter. And me and Danny just walked right past it. And uh, and I hope the, poli- the uh, Champagne police are listening to this. But we just walked straight into the stadium. There was actually some coaches there riding up and down on carts. They just waved at us, went right by. Super nice guys. I mean, we just walked in, got a picture of the stadium uh, on the inside, you know, kind of walked around the seats just a little bit to get a good view um, and then left. So we didn't bother anybody. Didn't get to drive around the campus very much, but Champaign was cool in terms of just the football stadium. Uh, Chicago, all I did was get Southside Chicago pizza with Eddie, which was great. Got to meet his son. Uh, and then spent two days in Milwaukee. <clears throat> and let me tell you, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, is a wonderful place. Great place to live. Pretty safe. Uh, honestly, reminded me a lot of Nashville, but without like the touristy stuff going on. So it was pretty much just sports bars. Like nothing but sports bars, like maybe one or two clubs. Uh, and then they had the sports teams. So like the downtown's very small. We went out Friday night to a place called or Friday in the middle of the day. It was like 11 o'clock. We went out with Danny and his brother, and then his uh, his brother's kid, who was a newborn four-month-old, uh, took him out to a couple bars, and I uh, got some spotted cow pitchers. We had some cheese curds. We had a jumbo pretzel, and uh, we got to do some drinking at Jack's Bar, which is the bar that, if you guys saw, I posted on my story, the uh, if the Jets lose, we'll pay your tab bar, which – they do this as Packers fans in honor of Aaron Rodgers. And then during the first game, they said they had a completely packed house. And as soon as he went down, everybody just started buying up the bar. Like, like everybody ran up their bar tabs. Like they had like four or five hundred dollar bar tabs all across the bar. And it's a pretty big bar too. They have it upstairs and everything. And then the Jets uh, won. and then the Jets won the game. So the our our uh, waitress was actually telling us they made enough in that weekend to make up for whatever they're gonna lose from here on out. But they actually changed the rule. Now it's if Aaron Rodgers win, or I'm not, not Aaron Rodgers, if the Jets win the game, then they pay the bar tab and not lose since Aaron Rodgers is no longer going to be playing this season until he comes back, uh, which may or may not happen. So that's what they're doing. Uh, and I think my favorite thing about Milwaukee is if you go to a Brewers game, all you have to do is buy a beer from one of the bars and they have shuttles that pick you up from downtown and take you to the stadium. 
So we actually hung out downtown the whole time, got a stamp from one of the bars, took a shuttle. You could take beers on the shuttle, so we took some Spotted Cow with us, sat on the bus. On the way there, as soon as we sat down, a guy behind us and his daughter were sitting there. They had a baggie full of shots, like the shooters, and they go, who's the best Packers quarterback of all time? And a guy in front of us was wearing a Brewer's hat, and he goes, man, you're going to kill me for saying this, but it's Aaron Rodgers. I got to choose Aaron Rodgers, man. He said, wrong answer. He said, what about you guys? And Danny goes, Brett Favre. And he goes, yes, sir. And he gives us these shooters. So we both took these shooters on the shuttle over. We were drinking our beers. We get there. Both of us are not sober whatsoever. Uh, get inside the stadium. Beers are expensive, but we probably had about four or five. I uh, got to hang out with this big crew of people. Did some betting on the sausage race. Got to see the uh, whatever the brewer guy name is. I think brew crew or whatever. Did his little thing down the slide. Um, and they were actually down 3-0 going into like the seventh inning. And then uh, William Contreras hit a three-run home run and tied the game. And uh, Carlos Santana came up behind him and put him up. So it was pretty hype. We had a good time at the Brewers game. Got to wake up super early the next morning feeling very hungover, which was a horrible mistake on our part the night before, um, especially with an 11 a.m. kickoff in Madison. And got to go tailgate with the Wisconsin faithful. We walked around and uh, met a couple people after we stopped at the hotel. Uh, hotel was probably about a 20-minute walk to the stadium, so we walked there. And uh, got to go into the game, and we sat on the 50-yard line because the tickets were pretty cheap and a sea of red season ticket holders for the Wisconsin Badgers, and it was a blast, man. I'll tell you right now, I think Wisconsin has the best student section in all of college sports, and I'm including Georgia, Georgia Southern, whatever. Like, I know I have my biases. They were by far the best. I've never seen a student section before have so many chants that were so synchronized. Like, everything they did was synchronized. They did a wave. They had multiple waves they did throughout the game. Like, in the middle of a very tight game, Georgia Southern played very well, where they would get up, they would start a wave throughout the stadium, and then they would slow the wave down. So, like, you have a fast wave, you had a slow wave, where everyone would stand up really slowly. And then you had you had the wave to where it was normal, and it would go around three times, and then it would stop in the student section, and then they'd send it back the other way. And they do the same thing over again. They, like, slow it down, speed it up, everything. And then uh, I think it was, like, midway through the second quarter, getting close to halftime, um, we started hearing these, this chanting coming from the stadium. And it got louder and louder because more people started picking up on it. And one side of the student section screams, fuck you. And on the other side of the student section, they scream, eat shit. And they go back and forth for, like, like 10 to 15 minutes. Like, and, and everyone says, oh, they're saying fondue and eat chips. It's like, no, they're not. They're saying fuck you and eat shit. But it's, <laughs> it's, it's so funny. And it's like roaring throughout the stadium. I'm looking around at like all these season ticket holders by me with kids and stuff. I'm going like, is, is no one like offended by this? Like I, like, I don't care. Obviously, this is awesome. But like if I had kids, I'd be like, okay, maybe my kids shouldn't hear people screaming this stuff. And they were like, oh, man, <laughs> we went to Wisconsin. This is, we used to do the same thing, man. We've been doing it for 50 years. Like, it's part of the tradition. I remember whenever I was a young boy and heard it myself. <laughs> exactly. So. I remember my first time when I was three. It's like, holy crap, man. But they, uh, I mean, that's just how the crowd is there. They love to drink. They love to have fun. They have all these really cool traditions that they do. Uh, every first town, they had their little first down chant, which most college sports do that. But just cool, all the kind of stuff they did. When you leave the stadium, of course, after watching Davis Brin turn the ball over six times for Georgia Southern and completely screwing any chance of Georgia Southern upsetting Wisconsin, um, I was ready for a drink. We walked maybe like a block away from the stadium. And that's all the bars, like a huge row. I think it's called Rowan Street. 
Um, and then if you walk like maybe another mile down, they have State Street. So they have two different rows of bars and they're all like right outside the stadium, right around downtown. So we went and had a drink with my buddy, Corey, who went to Wisconsin and then transferred to Georgia Southern and graduated at Georgia Southern. But of course, was decked out in Wisconsin gear for the game, uh, as I probably would have been, too. But he uh, he had a group of friends. We hung out with him, got to watch some of the other games, including Georgia, South Carolina, which was stressing me out. And, uh, and then we went back to the hotel and I fell asleep at seven o'clock. So had about the uh, pretty much an awesome experience in Wisconsin. Wish I would have gotten to go out a little bit more and do some more drinking with the Wisconsin faithful in Madison. But after a four day road trip and having a nine hour drive the next day, it, uh, it was about as good as it can get. Yeah. Yeah. And that was talking Georgia Southern and lost. And now our final road trip of the week. I don't know why I just didn't ask Matt, Matt, how was Oxford? Oh man, Oxford per usual. Awesome place. It's really cool. Uh, the the I'll, I'll say this: like going in, I was ex- I didn't know really what to expect because they're playing. It's Ole Miss versus Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech uh, is better this year than they were last year. Uh, Brent Key has that that program with a little bit of energy. But I just got to say, like you know, one thing going in, I really didn't know what to say uh, or expect when it came to what the atmosphere was going to be. What how's the student section going to respond? It's a it was a night game. It's hot. Golly, it was hot at the Grove. I mean, I was sweating here out of my pores faster than I could pour it down. Uh, I mean, man, it was it was it was such a good time as always. Uh, Oxford. This is a, it. The, if you've never been to the Grove, you are missing out. Uh, I've talked about it a million times. Into the game, awesome uh, game. Jackson Dart played really well. Miss ultimately wins. The atmosphere was unbelievable. For it to be a non-conference game, night game, uh, you would have never thought it. And I, I thought I was kind of crazy. I was like, man, this is this is a this is a good crowd. And especially for Georgia Tech. Yeah, for Georgia Tech. And and so I was talking to uh, a few guys after the game. There was a guy that had played at Ole Miss back in the 2000s, and he said, uh, he was like, man, I'll be honest. I've not seen an atmosphere like this since, really. He said, honestly, there was a Texas A&M game, actually the Texas A&M game that me and Witt were both at. He's like, this is the – he's like, there's no crowd that we've had since then that was comparable like this. He was like, last year, Alabama was pretty pretty hype, but as it's – like when it was over, it was just like big dud. Like for for this to be a non-conference game, this is the best non-conference crowd I've seen in years. So, a lot of excitement around the program there in Oxford, and a lot of reason to be excited. Uh, just to go on the topic a little bit, because we were talking about Florida and with Graham Mertz, Miss has got the second best quarterback in the SEC right now. Jane Daniels being okay. one. Okay, Jane, I was going to ask. I was like, Jane Daniels being one. Jackson Dart has played unbelievable. And it's, again, it's one of those things that if you look at the stat sheet and you didn't watch the game, you'd be like, eh, yeah. But Saturday, last year's Ole Miss team loses that game. Uh, it was a one-possession game in the fourth quarter. Ole Miss had to pull away late uh, in, or, in order to win, and then they ultimately covered. They ended up winning by 25, but it was a couple late touchdowns and garbage time. But, if, but Jackson Dart rushes for 130 yards. 
think I don't remember if it was one or two touchdowns, but unbelievable play from him. And it sets the stage for a very intriguing matchup this weekend. Cause now Ole Miss, Alabama, Alabama, the polar opposite. I'm watching that game in the Grove, just sitting there looking around like, what is going on right now? And we ended up because of the lightning delay, it poured over into whenever we went into the stadium. Uh, they had this the Alabama USF game on the on the jumbotron there in Vaught Hemingway, and you know it was just painful to watch. And and I don't even have a, a good a horrendous performance, the most horrendous performance of a Nick Saban team in ever. I mean that was bad. That was awful. Uh, I don't even have the words. I th- and at the same time, my my spin zone on it is I feel like it it, it was really more of Nick Saban knew we weren't going to lose that game. So he wanted to prove to everyone it was a it was like a statement. Now, there's rumors that Jalen Milrow was suspended. Saban's never confirmed or denied. Uh, all he said was that Jalen Milrow did not handle conversation very well and showed poor leadership in practice. So he was going to sit out for the game after he was told he wasn't going to start. Buckner never needs a touch of football ever again in his life. He needs to go ahead and get his degree from the university of Alabama and go sell insurance in, in South Bend, because I think they'll appreciate him more back in Indiana. He'll ever be appreciated in Alabama. Uh, Ty Simpson showed flashes. Like he, he showed the ability to throw the ball a little bit. He missed a moment to take over the team and win the team over. Uh, some of his struggles go back to missing a lot of the spring because of the thumb surgery that he had to have. So this weekend, Alabama, Ole Miss, I don't even know where it's going to go. We'll talk about the, that later in our predictions. But to, to set the stage, I mean, Alabama certainly made this conversation a lot more interesting than it probably should. Yeah, that was very – very concerning, and I think it goes back into conversation, but not even really just about Alabama. Just a conversation that we've all kind of been having, and so is the rest of the national media floating around college football this year. Like, who is elite? What like what team anybody truthfully look at right now in the entire country from top to bottom, all 130 FBS teams? So who can you look at, and, and who is elite? Because... I don't even think Georgia has looked all that strong. Georgia did not play well in the first half on Saturday. Whit, I'm very interested to hear what you have to say about Georgia because what what do you think the issue is right now underlying with Georgia? Is it inexperience? Is it a lot of turnover? Is it Carson Beck? Because I've, the, I've only seen Georgia play one half of football because their first two games, it wasn't worth tuning in to pay attention to. You knew they were going to win. This week was about the weren't threatened, but it was a real it was a real opponent. Regardless of what you say about South Carolina, it's a better opponent than what they had. And in the first half, Georgia kind of looked like they were sleepwalking. And I watched the first half in the car before I got to Gainesville. So what what is it about Georgia that seems to be slow start right now? So I obviously did not get to watch the first half. I was in Madison, Wisconsin, at a bar, um, and they had it on. But you know, obviously, I was talking to people and. I was kind of keeping up with the score, and we actually left at halftime of the game 
from that bar because I was like, all right, I need to go and be in front of a television and mentally collect myself because I'm starting to lose it a little bit. But they, uh, from what I've heard and from what I've seen from replays and whatnot, it a lot of people are blaming Mike Bobo. Mike Bobo's the new offensive coordinator this year. Uh, got a lot of uh, scrutiny back when he was the OC under Rick. Uh, he was one reason that I think they were people were frustrated with Rick because he was the OC for so long and everyone felt like he really didn't do a great job. Uh, me personally, I didn't mind him back then. Right now, I don't really know. I mean, the first two games, it's hard to tell against UT Martin and Ball State. Um, the first half, obviously, only scoring three points. I know, I think Peyton Woodring, who's the freshman kicker we have, I think he missed two kicks in the first half that were very makeable, which would have put us at nine. Um, I heard the red zone offense was really bad. The receivers weren't getting the open in the first half. Granted, Lad McConkey's hurt. He didn't get to play. One of our other best receivers, Dylan Bell, had to move to running back because we have three of our top four running backs hurt. So we had a walk-on named Cash Jones playing behind um, Dejan Edwards, who Dejan Edwards was one of our starters from last year, and he's pretty solid. He had a really good day. Uh, second half, when I actually got to watch, I thought we looked fine. Defense looked great. We pretty much completely swallowed up Spencer Rattler in the second half. Um offensively i think there's a lot of things we could have done better but i did notice i mean we we went up we scored 21 straight down three to 14 ended up winning 24 to 14 and i think if kirby didn't just sit on the ball we could have kept scoring so second half i didn't really have any issues i thought carson beck looked fine the receivers that were playing looked fine um i don't really know if i think georgia would beat a texas right now after watching texas beat alabama last week but, I mean, watching other teams, I don't think Georgia looks a lot worse than everybody else in the country. So, we'll see what happens. Uh, Ohio State's one that I thought looked a lot better this week. They got Notre Dame coming up. But I- I'm with you, Chad. It's kind of hard to tell who are the real elite teams in college football right now. I don't think there are any elite teams. I think that this is just one of those weird years. There's going to be teams that lose games that they shouldn't. Georgia, to me, is... Very, they're like 20, what year was that? I guess, I think, I guess 2020-esque or 2018-esque. They're, they're, they're really, they're good. But they don't have that 21-22 feel of them where it's like this team just doesn't have a weakness. Uh, like in, in 21, Georgia's defense was so absurdly good that felt like every game they could go in and that their third string was going to be playing most of the second half because their defense was going to have, you know, non-offensive t- touchdown plus the offense was going to score due to the short field. There was going to be, you know, the, the, the other team had no chance of scoring. So as soon as Georgia scored one touchdown, the game was over. Like it was, it was over. This Georgia team feels a little more mortal, but they still, they're still, in my opinion, the best team in the country overall. Offense. Sure. There's there's concerns, but I, I wouldn't get too bogged down in it. I mean, there's only so much you could see in that, and I don't think there's a team on Georgia's schedule that is actually going to pose enough of a threat to beat them. Yeah, we'll see what happens. I mean, honestly, Auburn, I've watched Auburn a couple of times this year. They don't look like they threaten anybody in the SEC. I mean, I think they're a good team. They're definitely better than they were last year. Uh, but Georgia's got to go to Auburn in two weeks. Obviously, they get UAB this weekend. I don't think Georgia's going to have a problem with them. Kentucky at home scares me just a little bit. 
Um, but beyond that, I mean, Missouri looked good this weekend. I don't know if I'm really terrified of them. Vanderbilt, obviously not. Um, and then it's Tennessee. So honestly, in the end, Tennessee and Nayland, uh, Florida, of course, looked pretty good. Uh, I think we match up really well with Florida, which is why I'm not super, even if Florida has a really good run game, like I think they do, um, run defense, I'm not too worried about with Georgia, unless Graham Mertz can throw for 350 yards, which he might, we don't know. We haven't seen it happen yet. Um, Florida, I'm not super worried about Tennessee is one that I think they match up well with us and playing in Neyland stadium. It scares me just a little bit. So this has been a weird year already. I mean, we're three weeks in and I feel like anything can happen in college football. I got to say this, though. Tennessee is the only school that we give the geographic pass on. Like, oh, they're only good when they play in Tennessee. Like, and, and, and it's it's terrible because even their own fan base was like, oh, well, if this Florida game was in Neyland Stadium, like, oh, okay. So if the game was in Neyland, your offensive line would be blocking better. If this game was in Neyland, your defensive line would actually be able to get a push and would be getting bullied by these guys. Why is it that we collectively, and this is like a rhetorical question, we don't have to actually go into it, but it seems like Tennessee is the one team that we have constantly always given the pass to of like, oh, yeah, well, and Nayland, it's different. Like, what is it about the geography of, of hellhole of Nayland Stadium that actually makes them better? I mean, my God. I think, I think with Tennessee – Realistically, I don't even think we just do that for Tennessee. I think there's something to be said about playing on the road in the SEC. Sure, sure. Right. It like Because Kroger Field, look, I'm concerned about Kentucky for us in two weeks. Ah, Kentucky. I am. That's going to be like I, a 17 to 13 game. Kentucky. You said pump You said pump the brakes. I'm pumping the brakes. Oh, uh, yeah. We yeah, get, yeah, like, yeah. We've, we've got to beat Kentucky for me to Kentucky's got if a good defense. Kentucky, they got a great running back that transferred in from Vanderbilt, and Devin Leary is pretty a good dang quarterback. Good. Yeah, so I'll give – That's what I'm Devin saying. Be careful talking crap about Kentucky. Yeah, against teams. Yeah, because, teams because have to be good Kentucky's against. offense. They don't have to – they Kentucky's haven't played anybody of, 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 of worth. Oh, right they now. never do. Can we point that out real quick? Like, where – everybody – like, Tennessee – Tennessee has at least they went out of conference and played Virginia. Like I'm not saying that's a big deal, yeah, but at least they yeah. did it. Georgia's, Georgia's played Oregon, Florida's played Utah, Bama's played Texas, even Missouri went and played Kansas State. Um, we're talking to you, people in Lexington. Even Mississippi State went and scheduled Arizona. I mean, but still, Kentucky never, ever, not once. Vandy went and played Wake Forest. What does Kentucky do? They schedule Eastern Kentucky and the University for the Blind North Dakota people. Like they, they never schedule anybody ever out of conference. Uh, but they, they never do. It's like it, it, uh, Kentucky is new to the football game, Chad. They, and they, they see South Dakota State. They're like, oh, they're a decent basketball program. Could be a mid major that we face in the tournament. Let's schedule them. Uh, <laughs> no, and then those those people are new to football and most Kentucky football fans are new to Kentucky football because they used to be like fans of Alabama of Alabama or Florida or whatever Texas USC whatever football program was doing good at the time they were just Kentucky basketball people and they didn't actually pull for Kentucky football so you got to give them the pass there you know well since we're on Kentucky serious question guys because Kentucky's basketball program is so good does that Kentucky football a blue blood no. no. 
We're not getting into that conversation, but I do want to get into I do want to get into one team. Inside that, joke, by the way. Well, it's it's really two two teams that I want to talk about. Inside joke. First one, and and they're both on completely different paths. And momentum around the program feels completely different from both of them after this past weekend. First one you just mentioned with Missouri. A massive win over Kansas State, despite yet again terrible clock management at the end of the game by Eli Drinkwitz. Missouri winning that game was huge for him. Uh, again, that's enough of a win to be like, why get rid of Eli Drinkwitz? We he coaches well in big games. I mean, you saw Missouri a week before they played horrible and it took them coming back against middle Tennessee who got obliterated by Bama. And it was like, Oh yeah, Missouri's might be the worst team in the sec to beating ranked Kansas state. Sorry, people of Manhattan. Uh, on the flip side, you have Arkansas, Arkansas in a big year, a big spot for Sam Pittman. Low in a game to BYU. They had a chance to win it. They had a chance to lock it down. They convert a fourth and in inches and it's over. And, and they missed that. And now we're talking about an Arkansas team that's got a tough road to toe. And where a week ago, if we would have asked, like, all right, who's the first SEC coach to get fired? We'd probably all say, well, it's probably going to be drink just because Mizzou if Mizzou goes three and nine, they can't just sit idly by and say, oh, yeah, no, it's fine, whatever. Yeah. But now you're looking at a Missouri team that has a, a, a key win for that program, and that could create momentum going forward. Versus an Arkansas team, now in their upcoming schedule, they have. Uh, so they lose to BYU. And why is losing to BYU a big deal? Well, because this weekend they get to go to LSU, who just absolutely manhandled Mississippi State. Which, sorry, state folk, we told you they were terrible. And listen, uh, LSU in LSU, Arkansas—that's probably a loss. They have the A and M game. A and M has looked really good offensively. They've looked very cohesive, even in the loss to Miami. The offense looked good. Defense has been a problem for for Arkansas. We'll we'll see there. They go to Ole Miss and then they go to Tuscaloosa. So you're looking at a possibility of Arkansas being two two and five before they get Mississippi State. And the the worst part about Arkansas's losses, it's not KJ Jefferson. It's not. But you know what the real problem is? One hundred and sixty one yards and penalties yeah that is undisciplined you can't do that sam Pittman is an offensive line or was an offensive line coach at georgia in one of the most disciplined programs in the country because of the way kirby smart runs it after the mold of nick saban you should sam Pittman, dude you should have so much more discipline and control over your team like you build a brand of physicality and like you built it after georgia and you have a run game with kj and you build it up front with those guys and it starts there most of your mental errors penalties come up front and 161 yards you cannot win any football game doing that it does not matter if you are playing the idaho school for the deaf 
You have got to be disciplined. I expect so much more from Sam Pittman in a game like this. Look, we talked about it, and I think we all picked Arkansas to win. I think Mm -hmm. I was the only one who said it would be close. BYU is not a terrible team. That's a 7-8 win team, which now with them being in the Big 12, you know, you may flex on that win total a little bit. But BYU's been pretty consistent ever since 2020 when they had that really good year. They've been a 7-8 win team. They're not somebody, and now with them being in the Big 12, they're not somebody you can just sleep on. You went to them last year and played a tight game. You won. And now you know they're going to want to come back to Arkansas versus an SEC team with the way the SEC has been kind of down this year. And it's a road environment. You know that place is going to be jacked for you. Arkansas sees this as an opportunity to gain some momentum going forward. You play undisciplined football. Well, it was You can't do that. It was in Fayetteville. That's what what I'm saying. And and you cannot play undisciplined football. And and if you look at the stats – Arkansas wins that game by two touchdowns. They out they outgained them by 140 yards. They threw for 40 yards more, and they they rushed for 100 yards more. Arkansas's defense only gave up 77 rushing yards, but they but they got a short field because of penalties. Uh, BYU that 100 they outgained BYU yeah. by 140 yards, but taking the penalty yards, BYU's got a 20 yard advantage. Yeah, I, I mean it, it just it it you, you cannot you cannot cannot win games. You can't like that. do that and. Really, I mean, and that was they. Arkansas did that without Rocket Sanders. Rocket Sanders didn't play on Saturday night; he was hurt. So, no Rocket Sanders. They still run the ball for 177 yards. You think, okay, if I tell you that on on Friday night, you're probably going in and you're you're throwing some some money on on Arkansas. the The problem is the defense. The defense didn't look very good either. The the again statistically. It, Numbers, the, the old saying, numbers never lie. And this in this game, it, they were very deceiving. And, uh, you know, and, and still Arkansas had a chance to win fourth and inches. They don't convert. And so, you know, it's crazy how one play changed the entire dynamic of a coach's, like, outlook and the and outlook of a season where Missouri has a 56-yarder win the game. At terrible clock management. Have to take a delay a game penalty that makes it a sixty-one yarder. Eli Drinkwitz hopefully took our that our kicker out there for a uh, for a, for a steak dinner after that game because he just saved his butt. Because the narrative around is no longer going to be. Can you believe Drink in the terrible clock management? It's hey, Mizzou just beat number fifteen Kansas State, and on the flip side, Tim Pittman's in trouble. He's in he's in real danger of losing his job this year, and. Man, the, the with the way that the SEC plays out the rest of the year, who knows? Because right now, tell me who wins the West. Well, one more thing. Let me just let me correct myself. It was 125 yards in penalties, but 14 penalties, 125 yards. You put up 424 yards of total offense to BYU's 281, but yet you're only two of 13 on third down. Yeah. You're two of 13 on third down, and you have 125 yards in penalties. You, you just you do that the rest of the year, and honestly, you look at Arkansas's schedule. They do that. Can they beat Mississippi State? Uh, doing I, that, I think so because doing did, that did, though. But did you, but did you watch any? Did y'all watch any of the LSU Mississippi State game? Oh, it was over in the first quarter. It was over in the first quarter. Did you watch any of it? Not a single second of it. 
Yeah, you're in Madison. So so here I, I'm I'm watching the I'm watching the Mississippi State LSU game. Now I'm in Mississippi. And I have to and I have to I have to mention this because it, there is context here. I w- w- all week last week I was blasting Mississippi State. I was like they look terrible. They look they 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 barely won a game in which they had a plus 5 turnover margin in against a terrible Arizona. Zach Arnett is botched this offense completely. Bill Rogers, he's got him handing the ball off. He barely cracked 100 yards passing. Bill Rogers is not built for this system at all. The offensive line's not built for this system at all. You decided you were going to completely abandon the air raid offense with an air raid quarterback and air raid pass blocking offensive linemen and two star running backs. Limited skill players because your best one is now a wide receiver at Georgia. Zach Arnett has completely botched that. I'm slamming them. I'm slamming state. And yet all of the Ole Miss people at the Grover, like, oh, I don't know, man. I think state's gonna be all right. I was like, state's terrible. They're awful. They're like, no, but I mean, LSU, they didn't look that good. I said, LSU gave they left points on the table against Florida State, and then they played a sloppy second half. They beat the dog tar out of grambling they're gonna be fine and the next thing you know it's 41 to 7 beat down not even close mississippi state they look awful so i don't think arkansas is gonna have a problem with them because i mean even with those penalties state's gonna have to be able to score somehow but you've been awfully silent (laughs) well i didn't get to watch a ton of football (laughs) this weekend so i don't have a ton to talk about besides getting to watch the georgia game i did watch pretty much all of the Florida Tennessee game. I fell asleep, I believe, at the beginning of the fourth quarter, so it was kind of already done. Um, but I did get to watch a little bit of Colorado um, at nine p.m. Uh, nine p.m. Central Time, ten p.m. Eastern Time, of course. I guess that took Matt's Hawaii slot, but um, enjoyed that one. Even though I fell asleep again, I woke up at ten, watched that game until like I think it was like right towards the end of the fourth quarter when. Colorado came back and they were only down eight and then I passed out right before they went to double overtime. So I missed a really good ending, but it was like almost 1 a.m. So I gave up on it. That is the one negative I will say about going to a game. You miss the opportunity to really sit down and watch the rest of the country and really evaluate. Unless you're in the Grove. Unless you're in the Grove. And and there's seven TVs all around you with a different game on. So you can kind of... yeah. Keep up. Now, I did I did watch the Colorado-Colorado State game all the way home. I literally pulled up YouTube TV and watched it in the car because I was still – that game was at halftime, and I was still two hours from home. I've watched well, it, but I'll say this. I fell asleep very quickly. Y'all got to know, too, I was in Big Ten country, so they're not watching the, you know, the Floridas, the Georgias, the Alabamas. The Alabama game wasn't even on at the bar I was at. The Alabama game wasn't. The Georgia game wasn't until I asked to get it put on. They had Minnesota on. They had Iowa on. They had, uh, I think it was Illinois. No, Illinois played on Thursday. Penn State Illinois was playing. Yeah, yeah. Penn State was playing, I think. Um, so it was all like all Big Ten teams. Like they didn't care to watch the SEC because that's just not who they're going to play against. It's like going to Athens or going to Tuscaloosa and asking to watch the Wisconsin Georgia Southern game. You're not. You're just not going to get it. They don't care. They're not watching it. So. Uh, which kind of hurt me being in the bars, being out in public, which is part of why we went back to watch the uh, the end of the Georgia game because we didn't know how that ending was going to be. Did get to watch the very ending of the Florida State game. We wa- we uh, kind of scoreboard watched that one throughout because Danny's a big Florida State fan. 
Um, and we were pretty shocked that Boston College was up. Florida State came back, went up big, and the Boston College came back. Had no idea what happened in that game. Still haven't watched the replay or anything. So not sure how Florida State ended up pulling that one out. But lots of good games this weekend. I think coming up, this is really going to be the first week where it's yeah. like, here's college football. We kind of know what we're looking at. We're going to learn some things this weekend, getting to watch uh, Oregon, Colorado, Ole Miss, Alabama, Georgia, UAB, all these massive games, tough opponents. So it's 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 going to be a huge weekend and i mean this is what we live for as college football folks so uh on that note dad i think you're ready to pour one out cut one off that's what i'm over here doing hand signals i was everybody. gonna say what are you trying to yeah. do over here you want me to cut something yeah. out of here he's, he's playing rock paper scissors <laughs> he's playing rock paper scissors with so, myself we'll let you we'll let chad start this week since he he's the hype man of the week uh with with no negative things to say about his team no no, I don't have anything negative to say about Florida. Um, I do have two poor one outs this week. Um, first off, I'm going to pour one out for the Swamp. The swamp is electric. It, it felt, I know I said it earlier, but you can't really talk enough about how electric the Swamp was. If you went to our story Saturday night, and you saw the Tom Petty between the third and fourth quarter. Fans singing won't back down. Everybody's cell phone lights in the air. This, Florida got some new lights in the stadium that blink orange and blue, although if you're in the stadium, it looks red, but whatever. Incredible atmosphere in the swamp. It was absolutely phenomenal. It, it, it was, like I said, it was the best game I've been to at the University of Florida. The swamp was rocking, a lot of positive momentum going towards our program, and we had a lot of recruits in the house too. In fact, we got an immediate commitment after the game. I think the atmosphere in the swamp and our fan base, shout out to our fan base, for not abandoning ship after the Utah loss. So pouring one out for the Swamp. I really don't want to do this because I'm going to be disappointed later on this season. But I got to pour one out for the Falcons. They look pretty good. They look pretty good right now, but I know all too well as a Falcons fan, that's probably not going to stay that way the rest of the year. So I got to pour one out and be happy about it now. Look, look Chad, so. you, you jinxed the Braves last week. Now you're jinxing the Falcons this week. The Atlanta sports fans should be very upset with you right now. I have not jinxed the Braves. The Braves are just, the Braves just don't care. They've clinched and they're just not playing good baseball because they don't care right now. They need to get back in the groove, but pour one out for the Falcons. The Falcons really do look good. I'm very impressed with the defense. Happy about it, but I'll be disappointed later. I already know. And I'm cutting off Tennessee fans. All I see all over Twitter and social media, I even have a, a couple buddies who are Tennessee fans talking about, oh, man, the refs won that game for the Gators. All the refs are on Florida's side. Don't you shut your hillbilly ass up, okay? You were dominated in the first half, and frankly, we went super conservative in the second half. The game was over. You were not going to come back in that game. We were dominated. We were absolutely dominated in every facet of every way. Jim Milton was not poised, and he was rocked under pressure, and our defensive line got after Tennessee's front. So, no, Tennessee fans. The refs did not assist in any way. Now, there was a call or two that in the stadium I went, hmm, got away with that one. Still, wouldn't have made a difference because you, you got your ass kicked. So just know that. Accept it. Accept it. You haven't won in the swamp in a very long time. So, sucks to be you. 
Who are you pouring one out for? Why did you just look at me and wink at me when you said that? I feel like, you know, you know I'm not a Tennessee fan. No, but I'm happy. God damn. Okay. Well. Can a man be happy? Absolutely not. Either way, I'm pouring one out for Wisconsin in general. Weather was great. Humidity, very low. Uh, it was around 75 degrees the whole time I was there. It felt wonderful. Um, everywhere I went, there was good places to walk, uh, good places to get food and drinks. Wisconsin people love to drink. Uh, cheese curds are phenomenal. I love cheese curds. Um, if I could get them right now, um, I would. But now I'm on a diet after this Pizza Hut I just ate. So no more cheese curds for me. Uh, but I love Wisconsin. Pour one out for them. Pour one out for the people. And pour one out for the Spotted Cow beer that I drank pretty much all weekend. Um, and I'm going to be cutting off watching Red Zone from the car because it was not easy. We drove nine hours yesterday getting back to Nashville, Tennessee, right before I drove back to Atlanta. And uh, the whole way Danny was playing Red Zone, it was good to listen to it. But when you got fancy teams playing, you're hearing your guys going for touchdowns and the phones on the other side of the truck. It makes it really, really annoying. Trying to look over and go, oh, who, who's, who scored over there? Oh, oh Bijan, Bijan's doing good? Like, I, you can't see anything. So, uh, cutting off, trying to watch Red Zone in the car. It was not fun. And uh, that's pretty much it for me. Matt, who are you pouring one out for? This week, I am pouring one out for Jackson Dart. I uh, talked about it earlier. Dude is the, right now, probably the second best quarterback in the SEC. And he's taken a step forward this year. You guys all remember that I was a huge uh, fan of Matt Corral. I'm going to go on the record right now and say this. Jackson Dart has an opportunity to to be remembered in Ole Miss lore better than Matt Corral, better than Chad Kelly, up there with Eli and Archie Manning because of the amount of leadership and maturity that he's taken in this, this season. I know in the offseason, there was a lot of question marks about Ole Miss, and Jackson Dart was one of those question marks on was he going to take that leap to that year two leap that every other quarterback in Nick Saban's system is. Uh, in whose system? In Lane Kiffin's system. What did I say? Nick Saban? He's in Nick Saban. Oh, God. Freudian slip. The goat's always <laughs> on my mind. Uh, but yeah, everyone talks about the year two leap in Lane Kiffin's system. Matt Corral had the same thing, and I thought that Jackson Dart probably was going to do it. I thought he was going to be okay. I didn't see this coming. Uh, the amount of leadership, the amount of energy, the amount of command that he has over the players, uh, and the guys are really bought into a system. Last year's Ole Miss team loses that game to Tulane. Last year's Ole Miss team doesn't end up covering against Georgia Tech. Jackson Dart wills that team to victory because you got to think their top three targets that they brought in in the transfer portal are all out right now. Judkins is banged up. He almost didn't play on, on Saturday. He was doubtful. Um, so they bring in a transfer tight end. He's out. Two transfer receivers. They're out. He's, he's doing things with guys right now that aren't supposed to be high performers. Now they're going to need those guys back for, for SEC play. Jackson Dart gives Ole Miss a chance this weekend, and it's going to be a very scary, scary weekend um, for, for Alabama. So, got to give Jackson Dart his props. He's played phenomenally this year. Ole Miss wouldn't even be in this position if it wasn't for him. Uh, and I am going to be cutting off uh, 
the Colorado State ending. Uh, Travis Hunter and is a stud player, and what he's done on both ends of the ball, playing two ways, he's doing what kids do in Little League at the highest level of Division One college football in a Power 5 conference and excelling at it. He's the best player on both sides. He's like the Shohei Otani of college football. Uh, you, you you don't see guys that can do this. He's got that primetime swagger, and then next thing you know, he, uh, he takes a dirty hit, has a liver laceration, and he's out three weeks at least. And it was a, a very dirty hit. This is my issue, and so in a, in, I'm inadvertently cutting off the NCAA because I've seen targeting hits that weren't that bad. Players get ejected. He hits the he hits Travis Hunter very dirty, very late. It was very obvious, and he gets to play the rest of the game. It's just an unnecessary roughness. The targeting rule needs to change because of that very reason, uh, because that was a vicious hit with the intent of injuring someone. That kid's now out three games. And there's no place for that in college football, and uh, I, I had I had a problem with the with the way that was handled. And I shout out to Shador Sanders. How many quarterbacks do you see getting in the face of a defender and 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 standing up for their their players and and talking a little smack? A throw down. So love that uh, from him. But cutting off that Colorado State incident. Also. Colorado fans, stop sending death threats to his family. It, 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 at the end of the day, Travis Hunter's okay. Yes, it's a serious injury, but could be much worse. Um, also, in honor of Keys not being here, I'm actually going to change my <laughs> cut one off. Uh, I cut them off to cutting off Davis Brin from Georgia Southern. Five interceptions against Wisconsin. Georgia Southern, I, I'm, I'm trying to – let me see. Okay. Let me say this without being a biased Georgia Southern fan, and I can confirm that multiple Wisconsin fans, as well as Danny, who was impartial watching the game, said this as well. Georgia Southern should have won that game by four touchdowns. Georgia Southern was the better team from start to finish. Davis Brin threw five of the worst interceptions I've ever seen in a college football game and then had the worst fumble in the red zone I've ever seen in a college football game in the fourth quarter down by two scores. Uh, actually, the third quarters before jump around. So, but we did jump around, which was fun. Um, and then after that, he had that fumble, and I told Danny, um, "Let's get the hell out of here. This is ridiculous." Six turnovers from the same player, and he never got pulled in the game. I know it's Georgia Southern, but that really pissed me off. Really pissed me off. So that was for keys. Hey, to breaking breaking news. Uh, Monday Night Football is currently on, and Nick Chubb. I know. Is I'm watching gone. it right now. I just saw it. That was yeah. Yep. Man. Nick Chubb is gone. Uh, airs out for for Nick Chubb, and I'm very sorry to Nick Chubb's fantasy owners because man, that's I hate that for Nick Chubb. He's had some nasty knee injuries in his career. It was the same knee he uh, he tore against Tennessee too, back when he was in Georgia. And then once again, we all say F Tennessee. Leave it to Neyland Stadium to ruin a knee. Um, F Tennessee. And as a Florida fan, I can also say a Florida State, which will lead us into our first pick of the week. 12 noon, ABC. Florida State, number four, on the road in Death Valley. 
whether it's the real Death Valley or not is up to you to decide. Depends on if you're a Clemson fan or an LSU fan. But Florida State, point favorite. It's tradition that you go first, man. What do you think? So I think Florida State's a better team. Uh, I think if you've watched these two teams play this year, it's pretty obvious to tell. Uh, I know last week Florida State looked pretty bad against Boston College. I've had Clemson circled on this one for a long time because they're playing at Clemson. But with how tight they looked against Boston College, to me, Florida State was looking ahead to this game. And I think Florida State really, really wants this one. I think they've been looking at this one all offseason. They knew that coming into this season, if they want to win the ACC, they have to beat Clemson. And I've watched Clemson play multiple times this year. It's one of the few teams I've actually got to see every week. They don't look good at all. Offense does not look strong. Uh, Riley's not doing what he needs to do on offense. Uh, Klubnik does not look great. Receivers don't look good. Honestly, the only player on that offense that looks good is Will Shipley, and I don't think they're going to be able to run the ball as much as they want to. So I'm going to take Florida State in a tight, tight, tight game, um, and I'm going to say it's I'm going to say by like one or two, like very, very in field goal to win the game type game. So. Florida State and Clemson this year feels a little weird because we, we we all kind of expected, just looking at the schedule, that they were both going to be – if there was going to be a two-in-one team, it was going to be Florida State coming off of a loss to LSU. Clemson would be undefeated, and, and this would be a night game. Me, this, this, noon, this noon kickoff is uh, – is what makes that the most weird because noon noon kicks always have a little bit of weirdness that goes along with them and that's where i kind of see this being clemson a lot of times can sleepwalk in these noon games um but we we don't really know what florida state is going to be and i know it's really easy to look at week one and say look at how well they played against lsu but then when you turn around and watch them last week against Boston College, I don't know. It was a very uh, – I don't really know what to think of Florida State. I, I've said it. We talked about it earlier. There's not really an elite team out there. I'm going to go with Clemson pulling this off in an upset. I was going to pick Florida State, and this whole time I had it planned. Now I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm doing it on the fly, picking Clemson. I think they're gonna win this game by three. I think that Jordan Travis is going to miss out on an opportunity to solidify himself to be in in New York. First Heisman moment of the year. I think this is going to be a uh, a close win. I think Clemson wins this game by three. Bad. I'm right there with Matt. Honestly, Jordan Travis went down in the Boston College game in the first half. Now, I know he played played the rest of the game, but I, I remember texting in the group message when he went down. He landed so hard on his forearm, I thought to myself, oh my God, I think Jordan Travis just broke his elbow. I thought that looked so much rougher than it ended up being because he came back and played the rest of the game. I think Florida State slept walk a little bit into Boston College this week. Excuse me, Matt. Oh, 
goodness. I'm sorry. I'm the Chubb video. You we it, oh. the, the Chubb video is bad. Oh my goodness, Matt. Just I am so sorry to do this in the middle of the pick. But no, Matt, but I mean, I feel oh, like I, man. I, I feel like when there's context, we don't have to worry about cutting it out. Like, oh no, don't. Yeah. The, Sorry, everybody. sorry to cut your train of thought, sorry, man. Yeah, sorry, that was yeah, gross. That was nasty. He just showed me the Nick Chubb video. That was really bad. Oh my goodness, that was awful. I don't even want to see it. Uh, you don't want to see it. It's it's uh, it made me like that's why I had to stop. It made me shiver. It was awful. It was awful. Oh man, prayers out to Nick Chubb. But like I was saying, I think I think Florida State slept walked a little bit. Jordan Travis is probably going to be feeling it a little bit coming into this game. I don't know. I don't know if they'll do anything in practice this week to kind of keep him from taking so many hits. But I think Clemson's looking forward to this game. I think Clemson's going to come into this game with a home crowd that's going to be really hot. So this is one of the biggest games that Clemson has had at their home field in a long time. The ACC has been so kind of meh lately, and they went to Notre Dame last year. This is really one of the very few games that Clemson fans are going to get really hot for. That place is going to be rocking. It's going to be an early start. And you know how those noon kickoffs can be sometimes. I think it's going to be a tight game. I looked at Florida State's schedule at the beginning of the year, and I said there's not really many opportunities for losses on this thing. If there was ever going to be one to find, I think it's in Clemson. And I'm not changing my opinion on that, even with what I saw against Duke. Clemson because it's week one. This is week four. Clemson's had two cupcakes to get it straightened out. Club Nick's numbers actually look pretty good if you go and look at them. So it, maybe he worked out the kinks of the of these past two weeks against cupcakes. But I'm going to go with Clemson. I think it'll be an extremely tight game, a very close game. And if Clemson uses this game to right the ship, this will not be the last time that we see these two play each other this year. But for now, because Clemson has the home field advantage, I'm going to go with Clemson in this football game. Which brings us to College Station, Texas. In the plane from South Carolina to Texas. Noon kickoff. Very, very interesting game in the SEC. Actually, 11 a.m. Central Time kickoff. Auburn, 3-0 at Texas A&M, 2-1 with. So A&M coming off the loss to Miami two weeks ago, and then... They played Louisiana Monroe this past week. Uh, I actually just looked over their stats. Looks like they did pretty good. I uh, haven't had a chance to actually go back and watch any of their replay. Um, but I, when I was watching them against Miami, their defense did not look good, but the offense actually looked really solid. Um, so I think going into this game, they got to be the favorite. Obviously, they're playing in Kyle Field. A&M is a 7.5-point favorite. Um, I think they win the game. I don't think they cover the 7.5. I think Auburn plays them pretty tough. Um, I think it's a close SEC hard-fought game, but I'm going to say A&M wins. I'm going to say by like four or five. Matt, what do you think? So I saw the line opened, and it was Aggies minus eight, and I think that that's right on par. I think A&M wins this game by ten. Auburn in year one of Hugh Freeze, they're well coached for the first time in a while. Uh, Hugh Freeze is... He is a good, very good uh, offensive game manager. Uh, so he'll be able to cause some problems, but I don't think he's got a quarterback that's going to be able to score enough. I mean, Ian Thorne really struggled against the uh, raucous crowd in Berkeley, California. 
with the raucous defense of the Golden Bears, who were losing 17-0 to F- FCS rate the Idaho Vandals this past weekend. Uh, they did end up coming win ba- back to win that game 31-17, but I just think that Auburn is a little bit meh right now. And A&M, I think, is their best shot to win the SEC West and make a statement here. I think they win this game by 10. I disagree. I'm going to be the only one that's going to pick Auburn. And I'll tell you why. Aiden Thorne has struggled. He's only plus one right now, and Auburn hasn't played the greatest of competition. He's got four touchdowns, three picks, and he's only got 517 yards on the season. Texas A&M right now, and granted, one of them, most of that comes from the Miami game because of the competition that Texas A&M has played so far. So that's where most of the statistics come from because Louisiana Monroe and New Mexico aren't juggernauts offensively. Sorry to the people of Albuquerque and Monroe, Louisiana. Texas A&M, so far through three games, has averaged giving up 300 yards a game. 300 yards a game. And that's 200 yards through the air and 100 yards on the ground. Texas A&M's defense was not impressive against Miami. I think Tyler Van Dyke and Peyton Thorne aren't the greatest of quarterbacks, but I think they're comparable in a way, from my own personal opinion. And Auburn? Auburn's averaging 428 total yards a game. But granted, Texas A&M is also averaging 467 total yards a game. I think it's going to be a barn burner. I think it's going to be an absolute barn burner of an 11 a.m. kickoff. It's going to be the game of the noon slot for sure. Might very well be the game of the day on a loaded week. Hugh Freeze... And this Auburn team, so much less pressure on them than A&M does with Jimbo Fisher right now. This defense is under attack. Miami shredded them on the road. And now I know this game's at home and the 12th man's going to play a big factor. I just think Auburn's, Auburn's the one with the least amount of pressure. Auburn can play far more loose than Texas A&M can play. Me the line at 7.5, but shifted to Auburn. I'm going to go with the Tigers. Moving on. We just talked about... Colorado. Talk about them some more. Biggest test of the season so far for Colorado. Top 20 matchup. Colorado coming in at number 19. 330 on ABC against number 10. Bo Nix, Dan Lanning, and the Oregon Ducks. Oregon, 21-point favorite. Huge line. Autzen Stadium's a pretty tough place to play. Uh, I've, I've heard, you know, I've never been there before, but... I've heard from the Pac-12 faithful it's not easy, um, especially for Colorado team coming off being 1-11. I actually think Colorado is going to roll into this game. Coming off their double overtime win over Colorado State, and they're going to be pretty fiery. Dion, I think TCU was his game of, look, we're proving that we're a top 25 team. This is the game where he wants to prove that they're a top 10 team. I don't think they win this game. They're a 21-point underdog. I think they lose by closer to like 10. I think they keep it close. I think they move the ball really well. I don't think Oregon's played a team this year that's been able to move the ball like they will. Uh, But Oregon's also only allowing 158 yards passing through the air. And a lot of that's coming from their comeback win over Texas Tech, where Tyler Show threw for 282 yards. So besides that, they haven't really played anybody that good. 
I think Shadur Sanders is going to stretch the field. I think he goes for over 300 the way he's been doing it all season. I don't think he loses his Heisman run here, um, but I do think they lose their undefeated streak. I think Oregon beats them, and uh, I think maybe the Dion stuff starts to simmer down a little bit and people start to come to reality and say, all right, maybe Colorado can go 6-6 six and six this year and that still be a really good season. So we'll see what happens, but I'm going to take Oregon. I, th- I say Oregon wins by 10 in a high-scoring game. Matt, what do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I, Colorado's defense is just so suspect that they have they have no defense at all. The best player on both sides of the ball is out now. Now they're on offense. They're going to score some freaking points. I think they cover, but I think they lose by 17. I don't think I, I think Oregon's going to get enough stops, uh, and and really losing your number one weapon is is a big big deal now if if somehow Colorado were to pull this off I don't think I'd be completely surprised because it's it's amazing how the narrative shift has happened so fast around Colorado SPN has been been showing it and people are starting to get sick of Colorado for me I personally love it I think it's great for college football that Colorado is is a is a talked about program I love Deion Sanders. I think that it's really cool to see him do what he's doing at the level of which he's doing it uh, and proving that he can coach. But there were times on Saturday where, quite frankly, he got out-schemed a little bit. Um, I'm not saying that he's a bad coach. I'm not saying that he doesn't know what he's doing. I'm just saying that he got out-schemed a little bit by Colorado State. So, Oregon and Lanning. He's going to be ready. Autzen's going to be ready. And I, I think that, man, I, I just think Oregon kind of carries away. 17 point at minimum. I'll take Colorado to cover. We're going to win. I agree. I, I think Colorado is going to come out hard to start, just like Witt said. I think that Dion is going to build this game up all week inside those facilities in Boulder as this is the game where you can go out to the world and prove to them how good we really are. This is where Colorado gets their gets their respect. And I also agree with Matt. It would not shock me if Colorado went on the road and won this game. It really wouldn't. However, I think a lot of people are wrapped up in what Colorado is doing right now, and it's great. It's awesome. I think it's great for college football. I, I love Dion just as much as everybody else. I think he's a great coach. I would play for him in a heartbeat. They are missing Travis Hunter. They still have weapons on offense. That tight end, that big, that that big boy they kept throwing the ball to in the fourth quarter, that Harrison kid, he's pretty solid. If he can get out in space, find some holes in this Oregon defense, Shadur Sanders is going to put the ball there and it's going to provide them opportunities to move the football. But this is the first real test that Colorado has played. They have to play Colorado and USC back to back, excuse me, Oregon and USC back to back weeks. It's really tough to do without your best player. And your best player on both sides of the ball. But listen, I, I think Colorado can hang around, but I think in the end, Oregon is an actual contender. Oregon can separate themselves from Colorado with the athletes that they have and the machine that Dan Lanning has pretty well oiled so far in his very short time at Oregon. And it's in um, Eugene. Watson's a tough place to play. Give me the Ducks. Give me the Ducks by 14 to 17, kind of a two to three score type game. Colorado will come out of this game, I think, with more respect, even in a loss because of the way they played. 
but I'm going to have to go with Oregon. Oregon's going to show Colorado that we are an actual contender in the national conversation. But sticking in the Pac-12, top 20 matchup, not two teams we know a lot about, but I feel like this is a game that we have to briefly kind of just make our picks because of how good the Pac-12 has been, so we need to show some respect to that. Top 20 matchup again, 7 o'clock on Fox, 14, DJU and the Oregon State Beavers going into Pullman to play Wazoo, number 21 of the Cougars. Disclaimer, like I said, not two teams we know a ton about, but I feel like we owe it the way they've played to pick this game. Um, Wazoo, excuse me, uh, the Beavers are a three-point favorite going into Wazoo. Wit, who you got? Man, I think uh, I like Oregon State in this one. I actually have gotten to watch Oregon State one time, uh, and they looked really good to me. The What really surprised me is how well their DBs play, um, and they're guys that you really wouldn't know. Like I couldn't name a single one player on their defense. Uh, the only player I can name off the top of my head is DJ Uyangaloy, who transferred from Clemson and who famously was very average at Clemson, but has been pretty solid for the Oregon uh, Oregon State Beavers. So I'm going to take Oregon State. I don't think Washington State's looked that great besides their win against Wisconsin, um, where they threw for like 400 yards. And I'll be honest, I just watched Wisconsin play in person. They are not a good football team. I think Wisconsin's maybe a 5-17 and 17 this year. So let's not play too much into that win for Washington State. So I'm going to go with Oregon State. I think they win. I think it's close. Uh, I'm going to say a touchdown win for Oregon State. Matt, what do you think? Yeah. Beave, man. I, I got to go with the beave. Always take the beave. Oregon State beavers, that is. I, I do think it's going to be a close game. I think Wazoo is going to be ripping at the seams. Uh, it's great to see them, even if, it, if Wisconsin wins, not a, a great win. It's good to see them with a win with, with a – momentum about them in that program. We haven't seen that since Mike Leach, uh, R.I.P. to the Pirate, uh, decided to go to Mississippi State. Washington State kind of fell off. To see the, the Cougs uh, getting back, and uh, but but I do think the Beef winds up taking the cake here. Uh, I think they win this game in close fashion. I think I think three to four is and in, in, is a very very feasible. Super, super exciting game, I think. I think not a lot of people around the country are going to watch this game, which is, like I said, I, I feel like it's a game we need to pick, and it's a game that people need to be aware of. Like, if you if you don't find a good game to watch in the late slot and some games get out of hand, you flip it over to Fox. This is going to be an exciting game. It's not going to be a defensive game by any means because both these teams average over 450 yards of offense. Uh, Oregon State averages 466. Wazoo averages 535. And I think Washington State has played the better of the competition so far. But I think DJ Uyungle looks really good. And I'm a big fan of Jonathan Smith. This is a team last year that won 10 games, embarrassed us in the bowl game. I think this program is headed in the right direction. It is a, it's a shame. It is an absolute shame that these are the two left standing in the Pac-12. So this game has that big significance surrounding it of we are the last two standing the Pac-12, and I think it's going to be a very meaningful game. I like both these coaches, both these guys, um, you know, especially for Wazoo after the whole Nick Rolovich thing down to have Jake Dickert still as the head coach on staff and Jonathan Smith, an Oregon State guy. These programs very much mirror each other right now. I'm going to have to go with the Beavers, man. I, I just I think DJ Oyunglele 
is probably a better quarterback than Cameron Ward. Cameron Ward came from Incarnate Word as a transfer. Obviously, probably a better athlete, more refined in his time at Clemson. Be the damn Beavers. But that's enough of the Pac-12. Another ranked matchup. we got two more, but this is a big one. Huge one in the SEC. Number 15, Ole Miss Rebels, 3-0, 3-30 on CBS, in Tuscaloosa. Number 13, the lowest ranking Alabama has had in a long time at 2-1. Alabama the favorite. And I just lost line on ESPN. It's I think, seven. I think it was six and a half. It's, it's, seven. it's seven, seven on ESPN. Seven, yes. So please excuse me there. I, I lost the game for a second. But seven-point favorite, Alabama. Very, very interesting game. We're going to learn a lot. Wit. So me and uh, me and Nathan Kissler will be at this one. We're going to road trip down there. Day of Saturday, uh, we got 50-yard line tickets for not too, too expensive. And I've actually only gotten to go to one Alabama game ever in my life, and it was last year with Matt. We got to go to the Mississippi State game, and we sat pretty high up in the stands. And not bad seats, but not 50-yard line seats. So it'll be my first time getting to experience an Alabama game from pretty close. I'm very excited about it. But uh, this one's kind of weird to me because, honestly, I know Alabama's the favorite. I know they're playing in Bryant-Denny, but I feel like Ole Miss has a lot more momentum coming into this game than Alabama does. Alabama coming off the loss to Texas and then barely squeaking by at South Florida, which why in the world are they playing that game in Tampa anyway? But the fact that they almost lost that game is really alarming concerning South Florida has not been very good recently. So, um I think Ole Miss should win this game based on what I've seen for the first two weeks. Um, I will say at the end of that Alabama game last year or last week, um, I thought Ty Simpson showed flashes the way that Matt did. Um, Roydo Williams looked like he really got going in the run game. I think they lean on that. I don't think Jalen Milrow comes out and plays in this game. I think they're going to stick with Ty Simpson. Maybe not. Matt knows a lot more about Alabama than I am. If it were me, I would. Saban announced Melrose as a starter today. Uh, then they're losing. All right, Ole Miss. I'm going to take Ole Miss by 10 points. I was going to take Alabama if Ty Simpson started. I'm not taking him with Jalen Melrose. He's going to throw three interceptions in the game. Going Ole Miss. Jackson Dart's going to sling the ball all over Alabama. And I'm going to let you take this one. Well, I'm going to keep it short because I know Matt's got a lot to say. Um really don't like this. I really do not like this at all because everything in my mind tells me that I need to pick Ole Miss. This is a statement game for Ole Miss. I think this is more of a statement game for Ole Miss than it is Alabama. Believe it or not, with all that Alabama has to play for, there's going to be all kinds of talk about legacy on the line, but this is about Lane Kiffin and the opportunity to seize control and take the driver's seat in the SEC West very early on in the season. Ole Miss, if they win this game, Ole Miss can look at themselves in the mirror and go, our destiny is in our hands. And even without all those receivers and weapons that Matt was talking about earlier, one certainty that I think in this game that we know we're going to get the quarterback position, and it's not going to be from Alabama. It's Ole Miss. It's Jackson Dart. I think it'll be close. I think Alabama's going to play for their life. I think Alabama realizes that this is one of the Every game the rest of the season for Alabama is life support. They're already on it. They know they have to win. Again, I think the importance of this game is more – I think it means more to Ole Miss to win this football game. And I think we've seen it before. I think Lane Kiffin finally gets Nick Saban. I think it's close. I think Alabama might lose in heartbreaking fashion. Be the Rebels by three. 
you have minutes. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I mean th- this is the Matt Bowl, my childhood team and my alma mater, and went to head the last time annually. After after yeah. this year, it's not gonna, true. It's not going to be a yearly thing, which I'm kind of glad about. Alabama's a more talented team. Alabama's got more depth. Ole Miss is playing like a better team right now. Ole Miss has the advantage at quarterback. Ole Miss has the uh, slight advantage of running back because Ulysses Bentley looked really good this past weekend. If Judkins is healthy, which is definitely up in the air right now, and that, that could be concerning. Let me just tell you, I I don't know what it is. Maybe it's blind faith. Maybe it's pure stupidity. I just don't think, and, may, and maybe it's just me in stage one of grief, which is denial. I just don't think that Nick Saban, Nick Saban coach team is going to Smoked by this Ole Miss team. This is a flawed Ole Miss team too. Like let, let's not let's not get it twisted. It's not like they're three and zero and they have a great win. I mean, Tulane was an okay win, but it's Tulane. Georgia Tech was a okay win, but it's Georgia Tech. And then they blew out Mercer. So while Ole Miss has looked great in spurts, they've also looked. They were down by ten to Tulane in this and in going into the second half. They're not going to be able to afford to do that against this Alabama team. And now what Alabama does do well, this Alabama team particularly, this Alabama team plays defense. Even in the Texas game, they're, they're, later in the game, I think they started to get gassed a little bit, and that's where Quinn Ewers took advantage of some plays over the top. Texas had the playmakers to stretch the field. Texas had A.D. Mitchell, who was able to beat Terry and Arnold on a couple of routes. Ole Miss doesn't have that deep threat guy. I mean, Jordan Watkins is okay, but that's not his role. Uh, Zachary Franklin's probably, if he plays, it'll be his first game of the year. He's a transfer from U- uh, UTS, uh, UTSA. Um, you know, but if you're coming into your first game in Tuscaloosa as a Rebel, it's going to throw off a little bit of – it's not going to be perfect. Ray Harris is probably out. Lane Kiffin doesn't talk about injuries, but Trey Harris is probably out. He had an MCL issue, so I don't think that he's going to play. Judkins is banged up. Caden Prescorn, as it was in a boot last week. Jackson Dart, if they're, if Ole Miss wins this game, it's going to be close, and it's going to be because of Jackson Dart. I think Alabama wins this game with the support of the fan base all behind Jalen Milrow because we've seen what our other options are. Jalen Milrow makes some dumb plays, but Ole Miss's defense is just very slow laterally. I think Alabama's going to win this game, and I think they're going to win it in a little bit of a statement game. I do agree with you, Chad, though. This, in my opinion, is a bigger game for Ole Miss than it is for Alabama, but it's a massive game for both. Uh, the implications that it sets up is after this week, Ole Miss gets LSU at home in, in Oxford, Mississippi. You, we could potentially have a, a, a massive matchup on the line there if Ole Miss were to win this game. Uh, 
West is wide open. I'll just say that. So, but I think Alabama ultimately does win this game in that seven to ten point range. Last game of the week with in-depth synopsis. Huge game. Massive game on just loaded week of games in college football. This is honestly the reason why we love it so much. Three and a half point favorite, three and oh, Ohio State going in the Notre Dame. I'm not honestly positive why Ohio State's the favorite. I'm not seeing that, but they are three and a half point favorite, number six at number nine, seven thirty, NBC. You got wit. Look, I once again have not gotten to watch Ohio State very much, but they've played Indiana, Youngstown State, and then Western Kentucky last week. Um, I watched Notre Dame against NC State. They looked really good. Um, I watched them in that Week Zero game. They looked really good in that game. So, I, judging just based off what I've seen this year, which honestly I don't think even the people that have watched these two teams can say how you really feel about them because we haven't really seen them get tested. Um, so, to me, I look at the stats. Notre Dame on defense is only giving up 43 passing yards a game on average. Ohio State lives and dies by throwing the ball with who they have on their roster right now with Egbuka, with Marvin Harrison, uh, Kyle McCord, former five-star, kind of didn't struggle but didn't look phenomenal his first two games. He came out lights out last game against Western Kentucky. Uh, I think he tries to do the same. I think Notre Dame shuts him down. Um, I think Sam Hartman has a great game against Ohio State's defense. Ryan Day, since being at Ohio State, besides that one year in 2019, has pretty much proven that his defenses are kind of soft. So it's very easy to exploit, especially on the back end and with the defensive backs. So I think Sam Hartman has a huge game, goes for over 300 yards, uh, and wins the football game. I think this is Ohio State's first of a couple losses this year. So I'm going Notre Dame. I'm going to say Notre Dame wins by 12. Matt, what yeah, do you think? Yeah, man. I thought I was going to be the only one that picked Notre Dame. I, I was, I, I was, I, I was like, man, I'm going to be, going to be trendy here. Uh, if Chad picks Notre Dame, it's the kiss of death, and we're all going to be wrong because Ohio State's going to wind up winning. But uh, no, I, I, look, this is Marcus Freeman's statement game. Going in, you, you, you had Notre Dame going to Columbus last year. It didn't go very well but you had Tyler Buckner as your quarterback and Tommy Reese as your offensive coordinator. And my God, I've seen how that works out for you. So look, bring in Sam Hartman. He's already thrown for 13 touchdowns in three games, over a thousand yards. Took my talking point. Sam Hartman to me is a man on a mission, a man that is trying to become destined for New York my God, this is the week that he does it. This is the week that he puts himself in the limelight. And if they're going to win, I think Notre Dame's going to win this game. It's going to put Notre Dame in that top four. They're going to stay there. And I, I think that they're going to ride out the rest of the season. And I, I don't necessarily think they're going to go undefeated, but this is Sam Hartman's game. Puts his name in the headlights of New York and potentially Marcus Freeman, coach of the year. In that way, I think Notre Dame wins this one by 10. Matt just stole all my talking points. Literally said everything I was going to say. Uh, yes, 13 touchdowns, over 1,000 yards already. And I was 100% thinking the same thing Matt was. Literally, Matt just said, I wish I would have gone before Matt. But plan our funeral for this coming Sunday. 
Sunday, September 24th, because I'm going to give us the kiss of death. I don't really have a lot to say, like I said, because you guys stole all my talking points. I think Notre Dame's got a better defense. I think Sam Hartman is it's going to be his Heisman game. His stats don't lie. Notre Dame's defense has looked really good. I think Notre Dame, one thing I don't think a lot of people are talking about is Notre Dame having an extra game at this point in the year, a week zero game, fly to Ireland, play week zero, and then fly back without a break. Know that they've got to be feeling that a little bit as the season kind of grinds on. Already got four games under their belt, not to mention, you know, NC State's not a bad team, and they had to go on the road to Raleigh to play them and had a weather delay to do it and came out of the weather delay and crushed them. I think Notre Dame is going to cement themselves right now as one of your top four teams in the country who's probably got the most impressive look that we have seen so far through five games. And this starts an absolute gauntlet of a stretch for Notre Dame. Stop showing me the picture of Chubb's leg. That's what Mark oh, just God, please don't me. show me that. Matt, that is twice tonight. I'm in the middle of talking about my pick, and Matt shows me a video and a picture of Nick Chubb's leg, oh, and I, it is awful. But listen, to this is a huge, huge stretch Notre Dame. This is going to be season-defining win, the start of a brutal stretch where they have to go on the road to Duke, who was ranked, who we saw what they did to Clemson. Then they have Louisville. Get a bye week. They don't have a bye week, but they play Louisville. Louisville's a tough team. Then they get USC, and then they get a bye week. And then they have Clemson two weeks later in Death Valley. This is a huge stretch for Notre Dame these next four games and a start to the Ohio State. I think the fact that they get them at home means a lot. I'm going to go Notre Dame. I just gave us the kiss of death. Like I said, Sunday, September 24th, 2023, the Rowdy Southern Saturday podcast is officially going to be buried because we're all riding with Notre Dame. But one last final quick pick with no synopsis. Uh, Two o'clock, Georgia Southern in Muncie, Indiana versus Ball State Wit. Well, Georgia Southern, of course. Uh, Unless Davis Brin plays and then he'll throw 14 interceptions in a single game, setting the record for most interceptions thrown in a single game, hereby uh, giving Georgia Southern their own kiss of death um, against Ball State. But I'm going to go ahead and say Georgia Southern. Hopefully he doesn't play. Hell Southern. Southern, we got to pick them. Thank you guys so much for tuning into Rowdy Southern Saturday. If you enjoyed the episode, please give us a five-star rating on Spotify and Apple Music and follow our social media at RowdyPod on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next time.